I'm Diane Hullett, and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Uh, you can find out more about me on bestlifebestdeath.com. And today I've got a special guest, Preston Zeller, and you can learn more about his work at theartofgrievingfilm.com. Hi, Preston. Hi, Diane. The pleasure to uh, be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks. I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, I saw Preston's work, I guess, on Instagram, you know, how Instagram yeah. reads your algorithm and it started to <laughs> see that I was doing things around um, death and grieving. And so I started seeing, uh, you know, information about this, this man who had created this film called The Art of Grieving. So I reached out and Preston and I went back and forth a little bit. And then I'm so fortunate that I had a sneak preview of your incredible documentary, which I watched yesterday. Yeah, no. Well, thank you for watching it. Um, and uh, I know it's going to be a good kind of foundation for us chatting today as well. Absolutely. I mean, seeing the film raised so many more questions for me for Preston. So, you know, Preston was a, you know, guy with three kids who was working, um, you know, I think more kind of a corporate job, but always had been a painter. And then you, you know, you went into a deep dive into grief when your brother died. And mm -hmm. I guess just lay a little groundwork for us on how this got started. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, 2019, my brother passed away. And, um, you know, I think I was kind of like most people when, um, you know, tragedy strikes in your life, you're kind of just going about your life and caught up in a lot of the um, normal patterns of life that we get into, uh, where you're, you know, concerned about, um, status and money and climbing the ladder and things like that. And, uh, you know, I was certainly part of that, uh, hamster wheel and, you know, my brother's death really caused me to like pause and, and, um, eventually pause and go, wait a second, you know, I'm, I can't just ignore this. I can't just, um, be a, you know, bystander of my life. And I, ha I really have to own uh, these things that are coming up. And I happen to be um, an artist before, as you were saying. And, but I, I, I think there was a way that I, I sort of had to process how do I, how can I approach art in a way that is really helpful from a uh, grief standpoint, especially, I think, early on for me, um, you know, I, I, as you said, you know, I'm a father and a husband and, and how, how can I be the best person possible in, in those roles? And, you know, when you have a lot of uh, unresolved, um, I, I think, you know, trauma to some degree, you're, you're just shoving it down somewhere. And then it's coming out. It's coming out as anger. It's coming out as um, emotional outbursts, all these things. And so, you know, you become not a, a great person to be around. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it gets in the way. It gets in the way. I mean, I don't think it's giving anything too much away to say that, um, you know, you interview a really powerful art therapist in the film, and she talks mm -hmm. about how trauma gets in the way. And um, that it's really a task to integrate um, that piece for anyone who has a traumatic grief experience, or a grief experience. Yeah. Um, so you, you know, so you painted every day for a year, and you mm. painted these canvases that were kind of around like eight by 10. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sort of painting the scene for listeners since they can't see it. And the paintings are all abstract. Right. And, yeah. and I, I loved that, you know, you both 
you both um, painted every day for a year and chose to make a film about it. So it was really mm -hmm. like this dual creative project happening at the same time. And, and you, you say in the film that you made three rules for yourself when you started painting. Do you, do you remember what those were? Can you articulate? Yeah. Those? Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, the beginning parameters was that, um, you know, I'd, I'd have the paint sort of um, next to me or on a rack, you know, just kind of freely available um, that I would paint however I felt at the moment. And um, yeah, I think, uh, and, and that I, I could use uh, black, black and white kind of freely, but then I'd pick other colors uh, as I, as I felt them as, as well. So I just wanted it to be very, um, you know, it's, it's intuitive, abstract, abstract expressionism, whatever, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. But the whole point is I'm not filtering myself. You know? Right. Right. You're just in the moment, grabbing a color, putting it on the canvas. That's right. Yeah. And whereas, you know, I wanted to, I wanted every painting to be kind of a, a flow state of sorts where I'm not, you know, judging what I'm doing, but I am just, um, I, it's what's, you know, flow state is kind of the, the expectations of yourself and what you're actually executing on meet in harmony. So, right. Yeah. Right. So kind of number one was, I'm going to use, I'm going to have all these colors and I'm going to just use them. And number two was I'm going with what's happening for me in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and the, you know, there are other kind of, um, I, a part of setting all those parameters is, you know, I'm forming a habit at that point and everything you can do to like systematize a habit, uh, is, uh, the more you can do the better. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, versus, you know, if you have to make all these decisions and filter whether or not you feel like doing it. Right. Um, what size today do I want to, do I not <laughs> yeah. want to? And right. And do I like this one enough to show it? So that was the third uh -huh. thing you said. You were like, okay. And whether I like it or not, that's the painting of the day. That's right. That, that was the third one. Yeah. And, um, you know, of course they're, they were all shared on social media the whole time. And, you know, it's interesting, like certain there were certain ones people bought prints of later or they were really interested in and I didn't particularly like it. I was just like, and sometimes I stood back from them like, uh, you know, yeah. um, it, but they, you know, they were all like, they're all study pieces in and of themselves. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're thinking about this from a sort of artist standpoint, the goal wasn't to necessarily make some masterpiece on an eight by 10. And, um, that would be a very difficult prompt anyways, it was merely like, hey, this is for myself and I'm just happening uh, to share it later on. Right. And then kind of the end goal was I'm creating this huge mosaic of all of these paintings. And so I love there's this part in the film where you are ready to assemble that big mosaic and you bring down all these boxes. And it's like <laughs> I was laughing. I paused the film and I was counting. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's like 60 paintings in a box. Um, and I thought it was also really moving that you decided to assemble this whole mosaic in your home. T can you talk about that choice? Yeah, um, that certainly wasn't the intent uh, <laughs> when I when I set out to do it. In fact, when I started the project, that was uh, really quite impossible because you know the house I was living in wouldn't take a you know ten foot by twenty foot painting. Um, you know, I happened to move early on in that project to Texas where, um, you know, I'm in a two-story house and it's pretty common here to have these uh, double stack ceilings because the heat and, you know, rises all the, and all that stuff. 
And, um, and then like, you know, COVID stuff starts, starts happening. And, you know, it's like, I didn't know any galleries. I'm not a known quantity enough for someone to say, yeah, we want that, you know, right. we want to assemble that and have it sit up for 60 days. Right. <laughs> right. right. Not to mention so big. I'm like, I don't even know if someone would, you know, <laughs> want it, uh, at this stage. So I kind of joked to, uh, my wife at some point, that um, like, you know, this is this is like a perfect wall to hang this thing. And she kind of laughed at me. Hey, how about the living room? (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like, we already have your art, you know, in different places of the house. We don't need this massive thing. But um, the closer we got to, you know, really the brass tacks of, okay, you know, how are we going to actually assemble this documentary? Um, I, you know, I, I met with a story producer early on um, before I was finished with the whole year and we were kind of workshopping what we were going to do. And it, it, it turned into this like really elaborate, like it was going to be a series and all this kind of stuff. And I had to take a step back and go, what's possible with the resources um, that I have. And that's sort of a theme of the project, but then also I think grief in and of itself as you, you know, you have, curveballs constantly being thrown at you. And if, you know, if you know, your North star is say, just like, I'm going to process my grief, however that happens. And, um, you know, I, I just know that that's something I need to do. And so you're kind of just pursuing that, that, that was really a lot of it. It was, it was, you know, you're getting creative and you're just figuring out solutions to little problems that pop up. Right. I love that though, that like your North star was like, I'm, I'm intentionally choosing this deeply creative project that fits into my regular life. That's going to ultimately fit into my regular house because of these strictions that's going to fit into my budget. Like you, you didn't somehow take it bigger than was possible and therefore derail it. Like you really created something that, that worked um, to come together and, and say a little bit more about at what point did you feel like a film was part of like, again, this like dual creative process of painting and then making a film about it. Yeah. So my, my background is actually in film from a a schooling standpoint, you know, that's how I went after uh, high school. I went to film school. I did film in um, high school. And so, and then I, when I went more into like, you know, corporate side world and agency stuff, I continued kind of do film, even though it wasn't like the core of my, my job, but I, I mean, you know, at its uh, essence is storytelling. And um, that's, that's what I've done for a long time throughout any kind of um, mutation of, you know, my uh, professional careers is storytelling. And I've always like, I have a knack for that for sure, but that is something, okay, well, how, how are we, you know, how, how can you tell a story? If it's a compelling story, people need to hear it. And uh, I looked at what I was going through and I, you know, reflecting on um, sharing these paintings and other people uh, finding meaning in the paintings by just sharing my story. I'm like, well, this needs to be done on a, on a bigger scale. And so um, when I, in the, in, and I have it actually written down in this journal right here, I, when I took the trip that I kind of uh, allude to in the beginning of the documentary, uh, what I don't say in there is that in that same weekend where I'm, you know, I'm going to do, I decide I'm going to do this project. I actually wrote in the same thing, make a documentary about it. And so I didn't, but I didn't know what that was going to be, you know? And, and that's the right. thing. Like I, I sort of intentionally set out to do this project that kind of like 
you know, tweak my brain a little bit in terms of the the size of it and not knowing all the details. And, and that's the thing I think, um, you know, hopefully more people can embrace is like, set this big goal for yourself. And you don't need to know all the details, you're not going to know all the details, but you can run with it. And you can, you know, discover a lot along the way. I love that, Preston. It's like they, they, the kind of the idea of painting personally for you for 365 days was then kind of born simultaneously with how do I tell this story to other people? Is it a book? Is it a movie? Is it social media? And, and, and you've done that. And I think, you know, you say so beautifully in the, in the, um, in the film at one point, you, you talk about the death positive movement and you say, mm-hmm. you know, that's great. We, I, I love acknowledging our mortality and that's healthy. And then you talk about wanting a grief positive movement mm-hmm. and you, you say this doesn't dismiss the challenges that grief presents, but it can elevate the outcomes of grief as a process to be embraced and then ultimately thrive through. Mm-hmm. And you say a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, that was um, towards the end of this kind of like art history section in the documentary. And to some degree, um, you know, someone might watch that and go, why is there like a history <laughs> section in this? But I, I think it's important because, you know, for me as an artist pursuing this, what I what I realized as I looked at all these other artists in history and and kind of the purpose of art in, in terms of, you know, um, individual on an individual basis and then on a cultural basis, how we're processing grief, I sort of realized that what I'm doing is actually just a continuation of what people have been doing for a long time. Yeah. And yeah. so Candy Chang's whole, you know, before I die wall is uh, pretty interesting, but it, it really focuses again on that whole, like, you know, life well lived and we want to do that. But it makes it about, um, you know, basically addressing our own mortality versus you're going to experience a lot of like really crappy things, you know, deaths and how we respond to that, um, I I think says a lot more about how we can have this sort of um, potentially heal our our culture a bit um, from all the different things that we've been experiencing and, and also ignoring versus just saying like, I have a bucket list, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And for listeners who aren't familiar with that, can you just say a tiny bit more about just describe that um, before I die wall project? Yeah. So um, Kenny Chang uh, created initially in new Orleans outside of this like abandoned building. Um, She got permission, of course, but, she, you know, after she lost her own friend, she creates this um, this big wall with, you know, it's out of, I think, like chalk and spray paint. And it says before I die and there's a bunch of fill in the blanks. So people in um, that town, they went and they said, you know, before I die, I want to truly love someone. I want like to you know, travel you the said, world. kind of bucket list stuff about embracing life. Yeah. Yeah. Before yeah. mortality kicks in. And so that, that was then replicated all over the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy how uh, much that spread. And to her credit, I think she really tapped into something with uh, people wanting to live this full life. Um, and that's, that's why I kind of use that to segue into sort of, okay, well, you know, it's good to have all these goals in life, but along the way of those goals, 
you're going to have a lot of, um, you know, pretty intense experiences emotionally. Right. They're really, they're really hand in hand. I mean, one thing is, are you, are you embracing your own life, embracing your own mortality? And then a piece of that are, how are you embracing grief? How are you embracing losses? How is that um, working in you or you working with it? Right. There's another part where you say, um, you say, you say that really a goal of yours with this film is kind of to turn this conversation around from grief being a negative thing to grief being a spiritual healing, spiritually healing thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's really powerful. I, I think of it sometimes as um, there's a Canadian death doula named Sarah Kerr, K-E-R-R, mm -hmm. who I've probably referenced before on the podcast. And Sarah Kerr talks about it almost like a hero's journey, you know, that grief mm. is really a descent. Uh, the normal world has changed and you are descended and you will not come out of that descent the same person. Mm -hmm. So, but in our culture, sometimes we don't really support people in going to the, the bottom of the descent. You know, we mm -hmm. kind of want to skip across and well, are you done yet? And gee, your brother died however many years ago, haven't you moved on? And there, there is no moving on from that kind of grief. It's just, how does it live in you? How has it changed you? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's, I think in some ways grief is like a rite of passage and we don't really, uh, at least in Western culture, we don't even know, I think what rites of passage are. It's, it, you know, how do you, um, you know, we say you hit 18 or you hit 21 and you know, you're an adult. You're like, really? That's just, just like a legal classification. Uh, what does it actually mean to go through? And I, I, I do think to some degree, you know, grief, um, really deep grief is uh, one of those kinds of rites of passage in life that uh, if you do address it properly, you come out on the other side with such a greater clarity around like, you know, what, what is truly satisfying to me that, uh, and, and oftentimes I think it comes out in the form of helping other people. And, you know, I think about my own journey a bit and, and that helping other people is really like the inverse of what we're taught in so many ways, which is to climb the ladder and to be successful and yada, yada. And you don't really learn those things in those environments. You learn how to be uh, someone who can, you know, my status alone is important, but it's uh, and, and I think that's what kind of leads people to in the sort of grief journey to just continue that my status is so important that I'm unwilling to even recognize how broken I am. I mean, that it's, it's, it's pretty paradoxical. And Lindsay, I'll just say real quick, she, uh, Lindsay Lederman in the documentary. So she's uh, the art therapist from New York. And she uh, brings up this point, how people are coming in to their practice in their seventies who have grief from their twenties. And that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but then you realize there's so many people like that who may be walking around with, you know, grief decades old and it's stored somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was glancing behind me at my bookshelf. I was looking for this BJ Miller book. Um, I think it's called a beginner's guide to the end. And he's got this great line in it where he says, you know, it's too bad, you know, in high school, we teach sex education and um, driver's education, but really we should have death education. And now uh, I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, let's add grief education, grief, right? like yeah. how do, grief and loss education and how do people cope with that? So that this kind of, you know, superficial thing where some somehow spoon fed as a consumer culture that 
happiness is somehow the goal, maybe feeling everything is somehow the goal. Because I think when we cut ourselves off from the depth of what grief has to offer us, we, we, you know, it's like we make everything simpler than it is. It's just not that simple. And so how do we embrace um, these experiences, even when they're incredibly difficult and feel like life can't go on? And yet it goes on, you know, you, you learn that your brothers died and you still have three kids to care for and raise mm-hmm. and shepherd through this world. So One yeah, in really powerful part, part of the, you know, whole, I guess, uh, MO behind the documentary is, you know, I, I had all of my own personal experiences, of course, and that's, that's a lot of what the documentary uh, focuses on, but the, it's really just a sort of microscopic look at a, at a story that I found that was very relatable and very common. And that's that, um, you go back into, uh, your quote unquote normal life, but you're not a, um, normal you at all. And you, you don't really give yourself permission to, um, embrace these changes in your life and not to, and and that sort of just perpetuates, you know, people not sharing. So, it, it, you know, you're right. If, if we could have, um, you know, some, you know, grief education or, you know, w- whatever it is, like how, how to be empathetic with people. Um, I, certainly I would think that's a lot more, um, impactful than teaching people, um, like what drugs are out there. <laughs> and like, like, right. you know, drug education is drug another education, one of those. Right, take, right. Right? Another one of those. <laughs> how do right. I tell the difference between crack and cocaine? You're like, that's, <laughs> not, is that a life skill? Like, <laughs> Is that something you need to know? Right. right. Well, Preston, I want to thank you so much for, um, you know, both, um, I don't know, for coming on my podcast today, but also just for having the vision of like making this documentary that tells a story that um, I think many people are going to see and kind of be struck by and planting these seeds about conversation, I think is, is so powerful. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for having me on and um, just giving me the opportunity to share and just chat with you more about um, just these uh, important topics of our times. I hope they yeah. kind of have a turning point. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. You can find out more. I've been speaking with Preston Zeller, Z-E-L-L-E-R. You can find out more about Preston's documentary film at theartofgrievingfilm.com and say what it is on social media again. Yeah, it's the Art of Grieving Doc on uh social media and then in my my handle on like instagram or facebook is just preston zeller so awesome thanks so much you can look me up at diane at bestlifebestdeath.com and thanks again thanks for listening to the podcast mm-hmm.